One in three kids is overweight or obese. Welcome to Kids Can, Healthy Kids, Better World, a podcast from Action for Healthy Kids. Hello and welcome back to Kids Can, presented by Action for Healthy Kids, a show highlighting issues children face daily and featuring conversations on how you can help the kids in your life. I'm your host, Rob Bisegli. On today's episode, we're chatting with the administrator of the United States Department of Agriculture, Food and Nutrition Service, FNS, Cindy Long. Cindy leads the department's federal child nutrition programs, including policy, operations, technical assistance and communications for the school lunch and breakfast programs, child and adult care food program, summer food service program, and fresh fruit and vegetable program. The programs support 30 million children daily. In this role, she has led FNS's implementation of the most significant restructuring of these programs in a decade. Cindy joins us today to discuss her role at FNS and how nutrition education and healthy eating are critical to keeping our children happy and healthy. Hi, Cindy. It's wonderful to see you, and I'm so thrilled to have you on our Kids Can podcast. Well, thanks, Rob. It's great to see you, too, and I'm really happy to, to be here today. Yeah, it must be exciting times in Washington, D.C. these days. Yeah, you know, it's always exciting times in Washington, D.C. I'll put it that way. I'd like to start by taking a moment to introduce you to our listeners just really briefly. You've had a wonderful career creating and leading impactful efforts to improve the health and well-being of Americans all across the country. And for those folks who don't know much about the USDA Food and Nutrition Service, can you tell us a little bit about the history and current mandate of the service? Sure. I think one of the most important things to know about the Food and Nutrition Service is that just the tremendous scope and impact it has on folks' lives. I don't think a lot of folks know that. But we run, I think we're up to 16 now, domestic nutrition assistance programs that in total serve one in four Americans over the course of a year. And so some of the programs folks are most familiar with include the SNAP program, which is currently supporting more than 41 million Americans, the National School Lunch Program, which on an average day provides meals to almost 30 million children, and our Supplemental Nutrition Program for Women, Infants, and Children, which is more commonly known as WIC. That program reaches nearly half the infants in the U.S. So the programs that we have the fortunate opportunity to operate um, really do touch Americans throughout the country. Now, those are stunning numbers, actually, to think that so many Americans are reached by your programs and services every single day. It's, it's quite the accomplishment. It must be very gratifying. So can you tell us a little bit about your career path and why you chose this kind of work? I was always interested in, in policy and government, came to Washington as a, as a young adult, but did a few things. And really, if I'm being honest, I found myself at FNS and USDA kind of accidentally. I had been working at the Office of Management and Budget on entirely different issues. I was looking for something different. And a friend uh, said, you know, oh, I know somebody who works at this place, the Food and Nutrition Service, and introduced me. And I had an interview and I thought, well, this will be, this is different for me because I had been focused on kind of economics and finance, but I'll, I'll, this could be interesting for a couple of years. And I've pretty much been here ever since. So it's one of those things where you just kind of let life happen. And honestly, I have been just so fortunate. It has been such a fascinating and rewarding career. I wouldn't have changed anything. It seems like it happens that way all the time, that you kind of stumble into things and find your place. Can you tell us a little bit about what are some of the most gratifying moments in your career at FNS? When I think back, I started quite a long time ago, and I'm, I'm not going to expose how long that was, but it, it's it's been a number of decades. And 
broadly speaking, it's just been really gratifying to see the programs grow and develop to meet the current needs. I've seen new programs created, and I've seen the way that we think about and support these programs change a lot. When I think of like an incredibly gratifying moment, I think to the, the White House conference, which we'll, we'll probably talk about a little bit more, the White House conference on hunger, nutrition, and health, which was held last fall, President Biden came and made remarks. And it was extraordinarily gratifying for me to hear, he spent a, a significant amount of time talking about the importance of school meals. Frankly, that was one of the biggest applause lines in his remarks. That moment for me kind of encapsulated what a remarkable journey these programs have been on. Yeah, you mentioned just a moment ago that the way that the government supports Americans and the programs has changed over time. Can you talk just a moment about that? Sure. Starting with the school lunch programs, I really feel that there has been quite an evolution in how we think about those programs. When I started long ago, I think most folks thought about them as, as you know, quote unquote welfare programs, right? They were to, to really help low-income people. It was a resource thing. But as time went on, particularly with the Healthy Hunger Free Kids Act, which was an extraordinarily impactful piece of legislation, I think we've really shifted. We have more path to follow, but I think there's really been a shift in seeing these programs as health and nutrition programs, as opposed to what you might think of as welfare programs. And I think that's been tremendously important. But there's also been a lot of change in how we deliver benefits. Right now, we're moving much more towards things like online purchasing and SNAP. And we're going in that direction with WIC. So it's really both the nature of the programs and the benefits we provide, as well as how we provide them. Yeah, that's wonderful. What about the flip side of that? What has been one of the greatest challenges that you've seen over your time with the service? Well, you know, when you, when you think about changes and movements around big, important government programs, there's a lot of two steps forward and one step back. And so for me, those moments when it feels like we're taking one step back, whether it's something happens in program integrity and there's a lot of negative media attention that suggests incorrectly that these programs are being taken advantage of, or when there's something that happens in Congress for whatever reason that puts a constraint on a program or, or maybe, again, uh, steps back from some previous gains. Those have been the most challenging moments for me. Yeah. By the way, you mentioned the Healthy Hunger Free Kids Act. I've been with Action for Healthy Kids for 15 years, and I, I can't think of, except for what the administration is doing now, I can't think of a bigger moment for kids in K-12 through education and their health and wellness needs than that Healthy Hungry Free Kids Act. It was crucial to what we have been able to accomplish. So it's been really great. What is something that most people don't know or realize about USDA and its impact on our lives? Well, honestly, I would go back to where I started, which is just how extensive the reach is. Honestly, I find myself sometimes, you know, in social situations, you meet people, you talk about what you do. And I say, oh, you know, I work for USDA. And then I go on to explain what I do. And they're, they're still really, I, I still frequently encounter a lot of surprise that USDA is the entity that operates these nutrition programs. That's something that I feel like folks don't fully understand for good reasons. You, you think agriculture and you think farms and other things, but uh, that's an area I think is still not well understood. Yeah, I would agree. So I'd like to talk a little bit about the Biden-Harris National Strategy on Hunger, Nutrition, and Health. According to that strategy, the administration, and this is a quotation, envisions an America where no one wonders whether they will have enough money to put food on the table, where the healthy food choice is the easier choice, and where everyone has the same opportunity to be physically active. It has announced a goal of ending hunger and increasing healthy eating and physical activity by 2030, 
so fewer Americans experience diet-related diseases while reducing related health disparities. All very noble goals for sure. For those of us in the child health space, the national strategy is what I'll call bold and exciting. When we saw it, we were blown away at Action for Healthy Kids. Can you tell us a bit about how it came to be and how the administration landed on these goals and strategies? I think it helps to start a bit with the history. As you probably know, Rob, this was the first conference of its kind in over 50 years, but it there was a prior conference that was, was historic and that resulted in the establishment of some really transformational programs like WIC that have made a tremendous impact in the 50 years since that first conference was held. I think the Biden-Harris administration's approach to the White House conference really was to both bring together a whole-of-government approach, but also really underscore and recognize that this is a, a whole-of-society effort. The preparation and the conference itself involved not only federal agencies, but a wide range of stakeholders, including you know, academics, advocates, community leaders, philanthropy, private sector companies, and very importantly, people who had uh, what we call lived experience who have participated in the programs. I think this was really an opportunity to kind of go to the next step and again, think sort of across society as a whole, what are the steps we need to take to meet those very ambitious goals? Yeah, how is the national strategy different from what you have experienced previously in your career at USDA? A key difference, I think, well, a couple of key differences. One is that there is a strong focus on equity. We talk about nutrition security at USDA, and what that really means is that every American has the ability to access enough food and food for a healthy diet, no matter who you are or where you live. That builds on decades of work around the notion of food insecurity, but it really adds in the perspective both of making sure the food is nutritious and making sure that everyone receives what they need in terms of support. The other thing I would flag is this focus on all sectors of, of society as opposed to simply government programs. We may not be in an era where we're going to be creating major new programs like WIC right now. So when you, you see when you read the strategy, it really does include many activities for the government, but also actions for others. For example, the food industry has a huge role in advancing the availability of nutritious food. Healthcare providers and institutions can increase their focus on nutrition and other healthy preventative behaviors. Are there particular actions that the administration is hoping for when it comes to corporate engagement around these issues? What are some of the, the kinds of things that you're hopeful for when it comes to your partnerships and collaborations and just engagement of corporations around healthy eating and nutrition security? One of the pieces of the White House conference is that there were commitments that were made by both government and non-government actors. And so some of the commitments that were initially made at the conference were by food industry around commitments they're making around the nutritional profile uh, of their foods, for example, reducing sugar in a product. There were also some commitments made by uh, private sector actors around supporting folks in the community who deliver services. Like um, there, there's one that's coming to mind for me that a company agreed to sort of mentor a series of schools in the community around where their headquarters are. There were commitments by healthcare entities to provide information about nutrition programs. And so th those are just a few examples. And the other thing I would stress about the, the commitments by non-governmental actors, that is something that was that is an ongoing process. We think the White House actually, I think just a few weeks ago, issued a call for further commitments. So that, that process is underway right now. You referred to a couple of moments ago, the two sides of the same coin, nutrition security and hunger relief. 
and also healthy eating. And of course, what we've experienced at Action for Healthy Kids over all the years, one, to your point, we had been, when I joined Action for Healthy Kids 15 years ago, we were really treating these as two separate issues in many ways. Maybe not everyone in every uh, circumstance, of course, but but we really were looking at them as two separate things. And then we certainly over the, the last several years have realized they are interrelated. Like I said, two sides of the same coin. What do we need to do from your perspective to achieve both of those objectives simultaneously? One important step is how we think and talk about these efforts and what the end goal is. Because as you said, if, if I think many of us can look back not that long ago when we sort of thought about them as two distinct things, getting people enough food and then nutrition, nutrition education, um, is, is food healthy? And I think we need to, to look at them as two sides of the same coin, as you said. I'll start with an area that I think that we, we've both spent a lot of time in, and that is in schools. So I think in order to get to, to that place, again, we need to be thinking about the support we're, that is provided in schools, which is school breakfast, lunch, after school snacks, as n- not only providing kids with food, but helping to ins- ensuring that food is healthy, but, but really critically teaching them by experience what healthy eating is and how healthy eating can also be tasty eating and appealing eating and what their connection as human beings is to food. I always extol the virtues of what we sort of broadly talk about as farm to school, which is where, you know, you see schools having school gardens or emphasizing local produce or somehow going beyond the meal and really connecting kids with where food comes from, what it's all about and what it means to them. And it's something that I've I've seen really energizing a whole school population, the kids, but teachers and families as well. Yeah, when you mentioned schools, now you're talking my language. This is what we're passionate about at Action for Healthy Kids. And one thing that uh, we can agree with more is that schools schools are where we help kids learn about almost everything. They become lifelong learners there. It's just a natural, I think the way we looked at it some years ago is maybe nutrition education or physical education or, or otherwise were not top tier subject matters for in schools. And that's not criticism, by the way. It's just, it is what it is. But now we know, I I think the evidence is as clear as can be that schools are where kids can also learn about healthy eating and being physically active and about how to take care of their social emotional health and all of those other kinds of interrelated matters. So I'll transition here because we can talk a little bit about the collaboration that we at Action for Healthy Kids and USDA FNS are engaged in now, which is brand new. So we at Action for Healthy Kids, of course, we could not be more excited to collaborate with you and USDA FNS around the $100 million, wow, uh, Healthy Meals Incentives Initiative. Can you please tell our listeners a little bit about the initiative and some of its key components? Sure. One of the things that I think is most exciting, you already kind of touched on, which is a $100 million investment, which in my whole career, we've never been in a position to make an investment like that in these programs specifically targeted to helping lift up the nutritional profile of the school environment of school meals. It's extraordinary. There's a number of activities that we can talk about, but sort of broadly sort of having two areas of focus. One of those is direct support for schools. So providing technical assistance and support to schools and giving recognition to schools around their journey towards transforming their meal programs and their environment uh, to support healthy kids. Then the second area of focus is around the school food marketplace. And that work will focus on 
projects that make it easier for schools to get healthy food items that fit with their programs and help them serve healthy, tasty meals into the the marketplace. And we are so excited to be working with, with you all and I know that this is going to be a really exciting journey going forward. It is. Just the last couple of months have been so exciting already. And we haven't really even begun the work of working directly with our school food authority partners. So it, it is very exciting. How did the initiative come about? These last few years have really been a, an extraordinary time globally in a lot of ways. But for school meal programs, the challenges of the pandemic and the way that these programs stepped up. And then as we've been come out of the pandemic and they've been dealing with supply chain challenges and a lot of the reverberations from that period. We know that it's been a really, really challenging time for school nutrition professionals and for schools generally. We are also very committed to continuing to move forward with healthy school meals. So we've proposed new standards for school meals, which uh, perhaps we'll have a chance to touch on later. But to answer your question, the, the connection with those things and the healthy meals incentives is that we recognize that at USDA that we need to provide every support we possibly can. It's not enough just to have rules about what's in the food or to say you should do this or you should do that. We need to support schools. And I'm really proud of the work that USDA and this administration has done. We've provided several billion dollars in additional funding over the last few years. We've expanded wherever we can things like equipment grants and our farm to school grants. And so the the HMI, as we call it here, is really just part of that. It's part of recognizing that if we want to ask school as schools and school nutrition to move forward, we need to provide every form of support we can. And we've adopted your letters to refer to the initiative, too. We call it HMI as well. So we'll just go with that for the rest of our discussion here. One of the elements on which we're, we're working with you in our cooperative agreement is a grant program focused on small and rural school food authorities. As you know, there's $30 million, again, a historic investment in small and rural communities available for subgrants to those school food authorities. And uh, we are going to award up to $150,000 in support to those school food authorities, which is for small and rural districts, a significant amount of money. We grant making at Action for Healthy Kids for many, many years. I think we're, we've awarded more than 8,000 grants and schools can do a, a lot of a lot of work with a couple thousand dollars. So the idea that we have $150,000 is it was really extraordinary. Can you tell us a little bit about why you decided to focus this kind of resource or these kinds of resources on small and rural communities? And by the way, just so our listeners know, what we mean by small communities is uh, school districts that serve 5,000 or less students, if I remember the criterion. I think this is an example of, of learning from experience, right? Because, you know, we talked a little bit before about the Healthy Hunger Free Kids Act, which was an extraordinary step forward for school nutrition, but it was also a lot of change. And one of the things we learned through that process is that there are some some special challenges that small and rural school districts face. You've worked with schools for a long time, Rob, so you know this, but number one, there are a lot of school districts of the size that you described across the country. Thousands, many, I wish I had the numbers in front of me because it's kind of eye-opening. But it, it is frequently the case that folks that are running school nutrition programs wear multiple hats. You hear stories about they're also the person that drive the bus or they're, they have to, they are, they're responsible for ordering all the supplies in the school. And it goes on and on. So it's really important to provide them support. And when I think over the years of the kinds of challenges I've heard about, it includes things like how do we get the equipment we need to do this, to serve more fresh fruits and vegetables? We, we need the stuff to cut them up. Our kitchen is outdated. We need different kinds of cooking equipment. In some cases, there's very little or, or even no 
kitchen space at all. We also hear challenges with staffing. Right now, labor shortages are touching every field, and schools are certainly no exception. And again, particularly in small rural communities, if you only have one or two people working on these programs, if if you lose somebody, it's an enormous challenge. So those are just some examples of, of the kinds of challenges we know are out there. And we were hoping to help address with these grants. Big picture, what do you hope these school food authority grants will accomplish? It's very simple. We're hoping that these grants will make it easier for schools to serve healthy meals and do it in a way that is appealing to kids. The kids have got to like the meals and eat them in order to have the impact we want. Yeah, that's great. That's wonderful. The second part of our partnership with USDA FNS is around the Healthy Meals Incentives Recognition Awards for school food authorities. And you mentioned this a couple of moments ago uh, when we were getting the podcast started. Starting during uh, the upcoming school year, 23-24, FNS, working with Action for Healthy Kids, will provide Healthy Meals Incentives Recognition Awards to celebrate school food authorities that have made significant improvements to the nutritional quality of their school meals. Best practices from those awardees, this is really important, will be shared and recognized so that they can learn from each other, which is really important. Can you tell us a bit about the criteria for these awards? Yeah, so it's basically recognizing schools that take steps to improve the quality, and that includes things like reducing the amount of sodium in their meals, reducing the amount of added sugar, implementing positive practices, things like integrating some more scratch cooking, integrating nutrition education into their classrooms, and also providing meals that meet the culture of their students in their local community. Those are just some examples of some of the, of the kind of criteria that those uh, awards will have. Yeah. Why are the awards so important to the HMI and the White House's national strategy? First and foremost, we think it's just really important to lift up and celebrate school meal programs and the professionals that run them. You know, they are such an important part of society and they deserve recognition and they don't always get the recognition they deserve. So I'm really happy we're in a position to, to change that. A big part of what I hope to see is that, that these awards will bring nutrition professionals recognition within their communities. Over the years, I've had the opportunity to be involved in some school recognition. We had a program earlier on around the Healthy Younger Free Kids Act called Healthier U.S. Schools. And it was just extraordinary to see how excited these folks were to get their recognition by their superintendents, their school board, families in the community, local leaders. I remember being at one event up in Maine, and you would have thought that the football team had won the state championship. They had this huge whole community assembly and people were cheering. It, it was really exciting. And that's that's the kind of recognition and support that I'm hoping these awards will help bring to these programs and these professionals. I could reinforce that too, because I remember an event from years ago as well, where uh, a food service staff member stood up in a, a school-wide event and mentioned that because of some of the support they got, and we're talking again, small dollar grant, she was able to take her food cart out into the playground where the kids play basketball in the morning and help those kids have a healthy meal before they entered the school building. And I remember the tears flowing down her face as she did. I mean, it was so emotional to see. And you might, if our listeners read the newspaper or pay attention to the news, you might think that our schools aren't doing a good job when it comes to feeding kids. But my experience over the last 15 years is exactly the opposite. The extraordinary efforts that schools and their staff members, there's these school, school nutrition folks 
are putting into our programs, I really think that uh, that it is extraordinary. And I could point to hundreds, thousands, I'm sure, of examples of just the wonderful work that we're already doing. And so the idea that we're going to help to take some of those best practices and share them with even more schools, especially in underserved communities, rural and small, that it, it is just so exciting because it is necessary. It is. And to your point, I think you and I both know there are so many dedicated people out there with good creative ideas and all they need is just a little bit of support, a little bit of resource to make it happen. That woman I mentioned, she needed a new wheel for her cart. That was it. There was nothing else that was necessary. It was a few bucks for a wheel replacement and the program was transformed. Uh, It was so exciting to see. I'll never forget it, even though it was probably getting close to 15 years ago uh, when I uh, heard her say that. Over the next couple of years, FNS and Action for Healthy Kids will host two Healthy Meals Summits for both the Recognition Award recipients and the Food Systems Transformation grantees. What do you hope we'll accomplish during these summits and what do you envision that they'll look like? The goal is really to share good ideas and to help facilitate those peer-to-peer connections. I think it's to make maybe an obvious point, I think people learn from each other and people who are doing the same kind of work as you and know the struggles have a lot of credibility and have a credibility in a way that that's frankly different than what USDA has or maybe what you have, Rob, because this person crossed the state line or, or in a different school district is facing some of the same kind of challenges that you are. And they, they figured out how to get by without the combi oven by doing this, that, and the other thing. That's the kind of peer-to-peer sharing and learning that is tremendously valuable and that, that we at USDA know we're not the ones to give that. And so what we're trying to do with the summit, with your help, is to really facilitate that sharing and learning and connections. That's very exciting, too. I really can't wait to get in the room with these folks who are innovating and using these these grant dollars and the recognition that they'll receive in their communities to advance their programs uh, to help feed more kids really high-quality, nutritious, appealing meals. It's going to be quite exciting. So uh, we're, we're just thrilled. The fourth main and newest component of HMI is the School Food System Transformation Challenge subgrants. It's a mouthful. <laughs> During the spring-summer of 23, FNS is going to be working with Boise State University, the Chefan Foundation, Full Plates, Full Potential, and the Illinois Public Health Institute to support the development and implementation of these subgrants. And those subgrants are going to support collaborative projects between school districts, food producers, suppliers, distributors, and other community partners to stimulate the creation of a resilient, equitable, and nutritious school food system. The RFA for these subgrants are going to be announced later in 2023. As you know, Action for Healthy Kids is not a, a prime on one of uh, these grants, but we're partnered with the Illinois Public Health Institute School Food System Transformation Challenge subgrants. So we're lucky enough and really excited to be part of this last component as well. Can you tell us a little bit more about this initiative and, and what you hope it will accomplish? This is really the piece of the initiative that focuses on what I think of as the school meals marketplace. And so the idea is to bring together industry partners, schools, and other supporting partners as appropriate to both make sure that there are, are healthy products that are available uh, for to help support schools in serving healthy and appealing menus, and to make sure that those products can smoothly make their way into schools and be served successfully. I anticipate that it'll include activities around product innovation, 
around marketing and procurement strategies, as well as a dynamic partnership between schools and producers on, on how to use the foods to provide them in a school setting and in a way that's appealing to kids. I've spent a lot of time in schools, but I've also spent a lot of time engaged with food industry partners. And I know that they face some barriers sometimes getting healthy food into schools due to you know production challenges, specific challenges around accessing the particulars of the school market. And I'm hopeful that this initiative will help um, foster innovative approaches and really expand partnerships toward this goal. Yeah, fostering innovation is really key. Can you talk a little bit more about this idea of helping to support innovation in this marketplace and throughout the entire system? One of the things that we found at Action for Healthy Kids is you can do work at different points in the school food system, but unless you're working almost at every single one across the entire spectrum, then you don't get the results that you're looking for. So can you talk a little bit about innovation in that context of the full system? As you were alluding to, it can happen at different places in the chain, right? So innovation could mean product innovation. It could mean, for example, we're currently now embarking on trying to reduce added sugar in school meals for the first time. So it could include things like industry partners coming to the table and committing to reduced amounts of added sugar in some of their key products for schools, uh, breakfast cereals, yogurt, things like that. But then it's also making sure that products that meet those kinds of profiles, healthy products that can be integrated into menus, are available to schools through the channels they have to buy, right? And schools, the, the marketplace is complicated. Schools use different methods to purchase. Sometimes they buy directly from man- producers. Sometimes they go through distributors. It's complicated. So you also have to look at that commercial channel of how schools are getting their food to make, and again, to making sure that those products that they want are available to them. And then I think another place where we're hoping to see innovation is, as you may know, one of USDA's broad priorities is supporting local and regional food systems. And I think in this context, we recognize that part of the strategy is making sure that schools have access to local and regional producers to help meet some of their needs as well. So we're hoping that this will help support that goal as well. You touched on this a little bit throughout our conversation, but I'll ask the question a little bit more directly. What lasting impacts do you believe the Healthy Meals Incentives Initiative will have on children and families in our country? I hope and believe that the HMI will help us take the next step in helping kids have a healthier diet. We talked earlier about the Healthy Hunger-Free Kids Act. And so as part of that, we made some significant changes to school meals about a decade or so ago, increasing fruits and vegetables and emphasizing whole grains. And... That was successful. The meals changed. There's data to support that. And we're starting to see the evidence of the impact of the changes that those made on kids' diets. And as I said before, that the HMI specifically is just as important a tool as changing the school nutrition standards, in my view, because, again, we can't just say this is what your meals have to look like. We have to make sure that they have the resources and support to be able to serve those meals. And then the last thing I'll say on this is that going back to the fact that these programs serve 30 million kids a day, if we can even make modest changes in what they're eating and how they're learning to eat, we will have an impact on their future health and well-being. Yeah. You mentioned a little bit earlier, and then you just referred to it again, the school meal guidelines or the guidance that USDA shares with schools and anyone else who engages in this system. Can you talk a little bit about what you think the future holds or where you see the process in creating those new guidelines stands right now? 
So in, in terms of, of where the process is and where we hope it goes is USDA, like other federal agencies, when we set guidelines for these programs. And so there are standards about what school meals have to look like, about what's on the plate, and then some nutritional standards. And so as we've discussed, there was a pretty significant update of those standards as part of the Healthy Hunger Free Kids Act. And so we're, we're taking the next step to move forward now that, again, we we're through the pandemic, we believe and hope, and it's time to sort of get on a path to the next steps. And one of the key changes I've already mentioned is for the first time, the standards will address the amount of added sugar, which is is particularly a challenge in school breakfast. School lunch actually is not in a, in a bad place, but they're in the, that's consistent with what I've heard for years from teachers and parents. There's too much sugar in school meals. So the way the process works is we have proposed updates. They will take place gradually over time. There is a process for the public to comment on those rules, which is happening now. We expect to finalize those new standards next year, but this is really important. It will be a gradual change. We know that schools and families and communities need time to adapt. So the the first changes associated with these standards wouldn't even take place until the school year that starts in fall of uh, 2025. And the changes phase in over a, a significant period. Yeah, I think that is really important. Some folks would like to see change happen immediately, but it's just not the way these systems work. As you mentioned, they're massive. You know, what we are trying to accomplish is to serve so many kids and so many people just in general. And so the idea that you can make instantaneous changes and snap your fingers and things will look differently tomorrow, that's just not realistic. What you say makes a lot of sense. And hopefully we will by 2025 and beyond continue to improve upon the guidelines that schools are using. I think they're excited about a big picture too. They have the same objectives that we have to make sure that kids are eating healthier meals and are entering the school every day ready to learn. And it's such a it's such an important aspect of that. So I'd love to wrap up today with one final question, which is you've worked in this space for quite a while and seen a lot of changes over the years, but we still have a long way to go to make sure that our nation's children and the families and their families have the support they need to thrive. If you could be granted one wish to support the health and well-being of children in our country and their families, for that matter, what would it be? Well, I'm going to stick with the focus on school meals. And if, if I had a magic wand, I would make healthy school meals for all, otherwise known as universal programs where all kids receive a meal regardless of without, you know, application or, or testing. I would make that a reality for all kids around the country. We know that Getting consistent, healthy meals at schools leads to better health and academic outcomes. And we saw the benefits to this Meals for All approach during the pandemic when we received temporary authority to run the program that way from Congress. While Congress didn't extend that permanently across the country, there's been an enormous energy at the state level. We have, I think we're up to eight or nine states that have that adopted it this year or are going to uh, take this approach starting next year. And there's a lot of activity in other states. And so I'm really excited about that and really hope to see that that's the beginning of, of a nationwide change. Well, that's wonderful. Can't really think of a wish that could be more impactful or more important for our kids. So I just want to say thank you so much for taking a little bit of time out of your day to share with us such important information and join us for the Kids Can podcast today. It was really a pleasure to speak with you. Yeah, it was a pleasure speaking with you, Rob. Thanks for inviting me. And we're really looking forward to working with you and the entire team on the HMI effort. So thank you. And thanks so much for all that you do and your team as well. 
I want to say a big thank you to Cindy for joining us today to discuss some of the child nutrition programs being implemented and provided across the country. Remember, you can always find more information by visiting us at our website at actionforhealthykids.org or checking us out on Instagram and Twitter. If you're enjoying the show, please rate and leave a review so more people can find us or check out some of our past episodes. I'm Rob Bisegli, and thanks for listening to Kids Can from Action for Healthy Kids.